Welcome to the Books and Travel podcast. I'm Jo Francis Penn, thriller and dark fantasy author, bringing you escape and inspiration about unusual and fascinating places, as well as the deeper side of books and travel. You can find the episode show notes at booksandtravel.page. And if you enjoy thrillers set in international locations, download one of my ebooks for free at jfpen.com forward slash free. Hello, travellers. I'm Jo Francis Penn. And in this episode, I talk to author Imogen Clark about her Camino along the Portuguese route to Santiago de Compostela the highlights and challenges, her lessons learned, and why she yearns to set off again. We discuss why pilgrimage has such a hold on us, on those who are not religious, but merely seekers on a path that so many millions have walked before us. And I also ask some practical questions, since this is the route I will be walking in just a couple of months' time as I record this. If you enjoy pilgrimage episodes, I've done quite a few now, including my own personal episode 50 about the Pilgrim's Way, and more to come as my next book will be a travel memoir about three pilgrimages. So keep an eye out for that in early 2023, and I hope you enjoy the interview with Imogen today. Imogen Clark is the best-selling author of eight contemporary women's fiction novels and has sold over a million books. She recently walked the Camino de Santiago on a variant of the Portuguese route. Welcome to the show. (laughs) It's lovely to be here. Fantastic. So let's start with a question of definition, really. So what is pilgrimage to you and how is it different to just a long walk? I think it is a very, very personal thing. I I have no religious faith. I was brought up within the Church of England and I spent a lot of time in the Church of England because I, I sing in a in a choir, but I don't have any faith. But I am always seeking, I think, and I am always seeking spirituality. And I'm by my nature, I'm very, very curious. So I think the pilgrimage for me was partly because I I was curious about exactly what it what would happen to me if I was on a pilgrimage but also I think the idea of walking to a specific place with a common purpose with lots and lots of other people because the Camino is very busy there are a lot of people all walking in exactly the same direction all doing exactly the same thing as you that in itself I find that very very comforting that there was there were so many people all all seeking the same thing as me and I I also found that if it's so uncomplicated when you're walking when you're traveling generally usually trying to fit things in and trying to see different sites and you've got a list and that kind of thing and similarly if you're doing a walk as well but when when I was doing the pilgrimage it that wasn't the idea you know obviously we passed things and we saw beautiful things but that wasn't the focus of what we were doing they were the things that we saw as we walked to Santiago and that's a different emphasis I've never really done a walk where it was just the walk that was the important thing 
Oh, you brought up loads of things there. I just want to sort of come back on why now? So you mentioned that you don't have any faith, but you are a seeker and you're curious. But did something happen in your life that made you want to walk this Camino? Because, of course, there are many different pilgrimages. I think I've always been aware of this Camino. So it was always something that I was interested in doing. But the thing that happened that made me really want to do it was that my children all left home. So they all went off to work in college and what have you. And suddenly I had the time really to do, to focus and devote on things that I wanted to do, as opposed to constantly doing the things that other people wanted me to do. And so when I started to think about what I would like to do in that time, when I wasn't rushing and trying to sort everything out for everybody else, this was an obvious thing. So even though it had been in the back of my mind for probably 15, 20 years, it's only now when I was able to, to go away without worrying about what everyone else was doing. And I think part of it being a pilgrimage is that you do have to focus on it. And so if I'd gone and the children were still at home, I'd be constantly feeling like I had to ring in to make sure everyone had got what they needed for school and all those kinds of things. Whereas this time, because they were all busy doing their own thing, I could entirely focus selfishly almost on on me and the pilgrimage and what it was that I was trying to achieve. No, I think that's great. And it's interesting, though, because I don't have children. I am happily child free. But I have also thought about doing this for like 20 years, probably even more than 20 years. And I then vowed when I was lying ill with COVID that if I died, it would be the one thing that really annoyed me (laughs) that I hadn't actually achieved. Like it was on the list of I wish I had done this in my lifetime. So do you remember when how you first heard of it? Because I feel like um, Church of England, for example, doesn't have such a sort of pilgrimage tradition as maybe Catholic, the Catholic faith. Do you Catholic faith? Do you remember where it came from? I can't remember specifically where it came from. I think I, I just it feels like I just always knew it was it was a thing and it was there. And I think because the part of the Church of England I was involved in was very high church, because I was, as a girl, I, I did a lot of singing in cathedrals. And so I was very used to the very high Anglican faith. And it, it's less, it's less odd <laughs> within that, that part of the Church of England, in the sort of pilgrimages and retreats and those kinds of things fit more neatly, I think, in, into that part of the church. So I was just I was just always aware. I suspect possibly I saw something about it. I used to sing in Canterbury Cathedral every summer when I was a girl, when the boy choristers were on holiday. And they used to invite choirs in to come and sing Evensong and the other services. And I suspect there was something, some some display or something within the cathedral that I saw back then when I was however old in my teens that made me think, oh, that's interesting. Fancy walking all that. Fancy walking all the way across Spain. Can you imagine that kind of thing? I mean, it just stuck with me, really. And I think I have a real yearning for just setting off. I think it's very interesting that the a lot of the books that I some of the books I write but a lot of the books I read people just setting off and doing something and I think it when you just uh obviously there needs to be a plan but when you just want to just start and and you just want to go from a to b without it being a huge holiday kind of thing those things have always really really interested me so I, I suspect just the mere word pilgrimage made me think Oh yes, let's 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 see what that's about and let's let's just set off. 
It's interesting. Also, you use the word selfish around yourself kind of doing something for yourself. But I almost feel like pilgrimage, it's not a holiday. Like it is obviously travel. You're seeing things. You're probably eating some decent food at some point, although it's never about the food. <laughs> and it's you're physically tiring. And there's lots of challenges. So did you get over this feeling of maybe selfish time? Did you embrace it for what it was? Yeah, I really did. Because I think, what's the point of going if you feel guilty all the time? And and I did think this is the whole point of doing this walk, apart from curiosity, which is the motivation for loads of the things that I do, but was really to get some time where I could just breathe really and and think and normally I'm very busy and I've got a butterfly kind of brain and I'm always doing at least three things at once and I listen to loads of books so I'm very rarely actually just in my own headspace and before I set off I was like goodness me you're going to do all that walking you're not going to listen to a single thing how on earth is that going to work but actually it was really really lovely to just take that time and and be in my head. I mean, I was with my husband as well. I wasn't on my own, but be in my head and not be frightened of being in my head because sometimes I think it's best if, I, best if we don't go there, <laughs> spend too much time contemplating things and just crack on with the next thing that needs to be done. But being able to have that almost selfish step and just take that step back and literally just think about the things that were important to me in the moment, um, that was quite a luxury really and not something that I generally do. So you mentioned there you went with your husband and were you with a bigger group as well? Um, we weren't, but you kind of are because there are so many people. So John and I went together as a couple, but immediately at the, the, we got off the plane and there was a group of ladies who were catching our bus and John said, I bet they're doing it as well. And we went and I went and spoke to them and lo and behold, and then we kept seeing them at various places and we bumped it there were lots of people who you see and they'll have a day off and then they'll restart and you'll meet up with them further down the track and it's because everybody is going as I say in the same direction at the same time and it is like walking in a group and you 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 bump into people who you maybe only see at lunchtime but then you then see them in the evening not to speak to particularly but they're sitting outside a bar or whatever so there's lots and lots of opportunity to speak to strangers as well as being with the person that you're you're actually with. So it was even though that we were only two, it never really felt like we were only two because there were just so many people. Mm, well, that's really interesting because when I did them, in fact, both the Pilgrim's Way and the Cuthbert's Way, I had whole days on my own walking yeah. uh, on a path. And I have heard this about the Camino and I'm doing a slightly different Portuguese route. And for the listeners, as we record this, I have not yet walked my Camino and I will also be doing the Portuguese route. But this is something that in a way slightly worries me because I like walking alone and yet I feel that that is respected but do you have to be rude to people you know I'm English at the end of the day so we have subtext and often people of different cultures don't appreciate body language or subtext that says I want to be on my own so were there ways of having solitude or being alone even with so many people on on the way? Yes I think so and I think you sort of get into the habit of saying Buon Camino as you walk past everybody. I walk quite fast and so we've walked past a lot of people. In fact, we walk, we didn't get overtaken, we overtook everybody. But you always speak to them as you're going past, but you, there's no necess- necessity for it to be more than that. And so many people were walking on their own. It was really 
I, I think more people were walking on their own than were walking in groups. So it's definitely something that uh, that is respected. And there were parts we took a, a different route, a variance in Portugal. And that bit was really, really quiet because it was off the main Camino. And the Portuguese route is more quiet than the Spanish route. So there were places where, where there were not other people. And when we were up on the hills, John and I, we didn't see anybody for, for hours and hours and hours. But in other places, it did feel a bit like a motorway. And there were just, <laughs> it put me by surprise. I, did, I, I hadn't realised it was quite such an industry. There are, you have to collect your stamps and your passport as you're going along to prove that you've walked the requisite distance. And um, there are so many cafes with the shell, which is the sign of the Camino outside and bars and churches and places where you can go to get your, your passport stamped. And I hadn't really realised that there was a whole industry around the, the Camino in that part of Spain, but it, it everything is set up around this pilgrimage and all these people constantly coming through. I think it's between 500 and 1,000 people finish every day. It's so many walkers, so many pilgrims. So, yes, it, it, that that surprised me. I wasn't quite prepared for that that quantity of people. And so uh, what, what time of year did you walk? Because that might give people a bit of a clue as well. We did it in May and... Uh, it's uh, the reason why that bit of the world is so green is because it's a bit damp so we had I think more wet days than dry days but it wasn't cold and it was that it it was fine I was expecting it it to be wet and apparently there is it is busy most of the time it gets very busy in the summer when it's not wet but then it would be extremely hot and the the route that we did it was quite hilly, some of it, and some of the days are quite long. So, you know, you, I think if you were doing it in the height of summer, unless you were used to walking in those kind of temperatures, I think it would be quite challenging. Mm, yeah, I'm doing it in September, which I guess is, will be similar to May. Yes, um, I think so. Be, I think. Yeah, ho- hopefully a little bit. So tell us about some of the highlights of the route for you. What what were the places that you were like, yeah, that, that was brilliant? or just lovely or beautiful or whatever is what you remember as a highlight? Yeah, we passed through there's so many beautiful places and so many tiny, tiny little churches and chapels that you kind of would not not have noticed if you hadn't been going slowly and thinking about and looking out for shells and all those kinds of things. And inside some of these tiny little chapels, they've got the most beautiful artwork, with fabulous frescoes and things. And you just think, well, where on earth did the money come to provide for this tiny little chapel? But you know, there it is. And crosses everywhere, all the way along, these very, very ancient stone crosses that were just gorgeous. But Places-wise, so we passed through this fishing village called Combaro, which was absolutely beautiful and picturesque and very much like a, a sort of a Cornish fishing village. And one of the things that they have in that part of the world are these huge stone grain stores that they built, I think, really to keep the grain away from rodents and bats and what have you. But they're everywhere and they're absolutely huge and beautiful. And all the way along the coast, coastal path, were all these stone grain stores and it, I've never seen them before. And so they were so interesting and so lovely. And I think we, we saw various churches within the, the towns that we passed. Obviously, the cathedral in Santiago itself is breathtakingly beautiful. I've been in a lot of cathedrals, but I have never seen anything like the Shrine to St. James. It, it's, it makes you want to cry. It's so beautiful. And so that that was 
so lovely when we reached uh, that point. But the, but the smaller churches, we passed through a little church where uh, a, fi- a local fisherman had caught a huge, um, or pulled up a huge sea sh- uh, shell and he'd given it to the church and the church was using it for the holy water door. And th- those little things, those those tiny, tiny little churches with the, these little stories attached to them, those were the kinds of things that really stayed with me as I was walking. We went to one chapel where there were some people inside who were quite ev- evangelists and they were, wanted to sing and celebrate our walk. And then when we when they'd done that, they said, oh, that, that chap on the bench outside, he said, well, he's 97 and he rebuilt this chapel. Him and his son rebuilt it because it had fallen down. And so they rebuilt it. And now he just sits on the bench outside and watches all the pilgrims come past. And it was just such a lovely, lovely story. It's such a human side to, to the walk. And it's those kinds of things that, that stay with me, really, the human bits. And uh, you meant you've mentioned hills and some, I guess, some of the landscape. But talk about what does it look like? Because I mean, this is the coastal route, right? So were you by the sea at any point? Yeah, there were bits by the sea. I think it is very varied. There were lots and lots of bits by water, but but rivers. The, there was one particular part that the path of, of stone and water, which was a path that ran beside this more of a stream than a river really but all the way along there were mills and it had been where they had done all this the grain and milled all the grain and everything for the bread and just on this tiny little path there was so much stone because that they needed the drops of the water to make the mills work and then these beautiful tiny tiny little mills every three or four hundred yards that was just so pretty the dappled light and absolutely lovely and then one day we were walking up a hill it was quite quite steep and when I'm from Yorkshire I can do hills but it was quite steep but it was a eucalyptus plantation so you can imagine the smell was fabulous and the path had been made from I think there must have been crushed oyster shells in it because it had the tiny little mother of pearly bits that you get inside oyster shells on the floor and it that those were all reflecting light and making the floor shimmer beneath you and the smell and the, the heat and walking up the hill and then we get to the top and it just the trees cut away and we got opened up this beautiful vista and then we were looking down over this bay on the of the coast obviously and that was a breathtaking moment as well because we it had been a trudge to get up this hill and it was hot and then we got to the top and suddenly we were rewarded with this spectacular view and it was full of moments like that where it was hard and then suddenly something beautiful would happen and you think Oh, okay. So yeah, it was all it was worth working ten miles up that hill to get to this view. Lots of little things like that, really. I think all the way along. Yeah, well, that actually, I have a really practical question, and I, I do think this is important. So, uh, some people get sort of heavy walking boots. So, for example, walking in Yorkshire in November, October, November, you're going to wear some some chunky walking boots, right? But I've seen people walking these Camino paths in just more like walking shoes, like light walking shoes or even sandals. So what kind of footwear do you think you needed for that route? Well, I I wear track shoes that they run in. So when you see these people who do, well, the, the ultras, I know you've done ultras as well. And the people who run the ultras who wear uh, these very, very light with very thick soled running shoes. And so that's what I wear because they're so light and they're so comfortable. And I think you don't need big boots because obviously it's Spain and it's it's hot. But also the path at no point was the path particularly 
muddy or that I had to trudge through water or any of the things that I would need boots for. And people were walking in all kinds of things. I saw one girl, she inspired me to write a character, actually, because she was so lovely. She'd got pink hair and she hadn't got a rucksack. She'd just got a tote bag and she'd got a scarf hanging around her hips and she was walking in flip-flops. And I thought, <laughs> look at her. She's one of those, you know, one of those devil may care kind of, I'll just turn up and it'll be fine kind of people. And you could see everything about her just from the way that she was dressed. And she stood out a mile because she was so she looks so different to everybody everybody else who there are a lot of people with with khaki kit with with creases from the packets still in them mm. there was a lot of people who clearly didn't do a lot of walking but we just had bought new things specifically to do to do the Camino so she was like a breath of fresh air in a flip-flop I wouldn't recommend doing it in flip-flops though I have to say <laughs> I was gonna say yeah you're gonna get some nasty <laughs> things need some decent boots. yeah I mean a couple of the days were sort of between 15 and 20 miles I think three or four of the days were between 15 and 20 miles and at the end of the day it's not to be taken lightly because even if you do a lot of walking walking consecutive days with those, of those kinds of mileage it can be hard on the hips and the shoulders and everything so yeah you think you do need to make sure that you've got kit that that suits what it is that you're trying to do no that's that is good and then I guess a sort of a practical question as well in terms of finding water and food and toilets like you said I mean there was because it's an industry was it always easy to find places for those things not always it's the great outdoors so there aren't always toilets <laughs> but there are and there there are little bars all the way along the route uh, but sometimes the bars were quite spaced out and often you didn't get to the places where the bars were at a time that was a meal time and also I'm very I get up very early in the morning and I go to bed quite early and I'm very morning focused and my body clock was completely at odds with the Spanish body clock. So the Spanish time, they start much later and we couldn't even get breakfast before half past eight, which is like, oh my goodness me, you know, I'm normally up, up with a lark. And then things close in the afternoon. So we learned to be quite quite creative, making sure that we had got enough to drink and eat and everything for that gap between sort of two and seven when everything was shut. So yeah, you do have to be quite well organised, I think, and not just assume that you'll stumble across the most perfect tapas bar at exactly the right moment because it, it doesn't always happen. Yeah, yeah. I was I actually thought about moving to Spain in the 90s and it was the same reason. I was like, I cannot live in this country where they eat dinner so late and I, I'm like you, I get up early and I go to bed early and it just, just didn't suit me. It doesn't work. <laughs> and like, yes, my husband said, Imogen, you can't expect them to change their entire way of life because you're here. I'm like, yeah. <laughs> but obviously, yeah. It, but it, we were there 10 days, we got used to it. By, I got used to it by the end. But um, yeah, it, it's quite a big switch of your body clock, I think, to, to be able to eat very mm. late and, and yeah, go to bed late. Yeah. So obviously, as we mentioned, pilgrimages are not meant to be easy. And you mentioned there some of the long days, some pain in your hips and your shoulders. What were some of your greatest challenges along the way? As I mentioned before, I walk, I walk very quickly and my husband does not. And so that was quite a challenge because even though that sounds a bit trite, actually, I really had to focus on slowing down so that I wasn't just doing this for myself. We were there as a pair and it was important that we were together. And my temptation is to go much faster than him. And he was saying, it's not a race. And I would say, well, I'm not racing. I'm just walking at my normal speed. We had this ongoing debate that my normal speed was not normal. And his normal speed was closer to normal. And I needed to slow down. So that was quite a challenge for me. Also, I think it's you have to put aside your wish to 
stop and, and look at absolutely everything because the focus is on the the actual pilgrimage. And I'm like you, if there's a if there's a little path that goes off somewhere else, I'm likely to be on it just to see where it goes, all those kinds of things. And I had to pull back from doing those kinds of things because I had to remember that I was supposed to be on the pilgrimage and I was following this path for a reason. And there was a reason why I had to go this way and not any other way. So, so that was something else that I had to do. As far as it being a physical challenge, I think if we'd gone further, we only did sort of the last 120 kilometres. And if we'd gone further, obviously, that would have been more difficult. And we, because we're middle-aged people, we were staying in nice hotels and not backpacking. And so we didn't make it that difficult for ourselves because there was always a hotel at the end and we weren't carrying our kit. So I think if if there are ways in which it would be much harder, I think, than the way that that I I actually did it. But it is... Getting up and doing the same thing every day, that requires a degree of mental fortitude, I think. And sometimes when it is very hot and it is, or it is very wet or all those kind of things, you think, oh, for goodness sake, you know, it's supposed to be fun. And you think, well, yes, it is fun. You're enjoying it. But it is, you know, it's hard and you have to just keep pressing on. You've got to get to a particular point because that's where you're resting that night. And um, so, yes, it, it's not easy. It's not for the faint hearted, I don't think. Mm, I think that it's type two fun, which is it's not fun at the time, but it might be fun if you look back at it later. (laughs) But also, like you mentioned there, you stayed in hotels and you didn't carry your bags. But to me, the whole point or one of the points of the Camino is that it's your Camino. And so there is absolutely no problem staying in hotels or having your bags ported uh, from one place to the next. I, I talked I've talked about this before but it's your Camino whatever you want it to be and you choose your challenge and I think that's the important thing and I there I didn't think there should be any judgment for how people do it I mean like you were celebrating that girl who was in flip-flops you know my immediate thought was there's no way she made it to Santiago (laughs) (laughs) you know what I mean and but it's like her Camino who knows her Camino might have only been a couple of days and so I think that's really important too. So you must have met people who's who had just completely different attitudes. I mean, she was obviously one of them. But I mean, you do pick characters for your books, as you said. Were there any other interesting characters? Yeah, we met one one chap, and we had this conversation as you're going along with with people that you meet. What, what's your motivation? Why are you here? And he said that he was there because he had triplet boys, and he was the main carer. His wife went out to work and he had worked a lot from home and he said I'm here because I need them to know that they can live they can do it without me and I I thought that was really interesting the thing that was motivating him to be able to do this walk was to show that he wasn't as indispensable as his family thought so in a kind of a roundabout kind of way what he was getting from that his Camino was all about showing them that he was able to have the freedom and their lives wouldn't collapse if he wasn't there. And I thought that was interesting that he, that, that was the way that he he was approaching it. Well, that actually means a lot, you saying that, because weirdly, that is one of the reasons I do this, because, you know, I mean, we're both authors and I run my own business and have done for nearly 15 years. And I rarely ever take a day off, like a whole day off in terms of not making sure things are ticking over on the business, like emails or whatever I'm doing. And when I do these pilgrimages, I try and rem- I remember, now I do remember that I am not 
indispensable. And this is such an amazing lesson that I keep learning. And what I'm hoping to learn again on the Camino is that, yeah, life carries on. Like you don't need to check social media. You don't need to do email. No one's going to die if an author doesn't email a reader back, right? (laughs) No, absolutely. But I think we lose sight of that, don't we? Because we're so busy and everything is so very important. And it's very easy to lose sight of how actually what the important things are. And it's like I said at the very beginning, that it's a simple thing. It's so simple is walking, is putting one foot in front of another until you get to the place you need to be. And it's that simplicity, I think, that is the, the, the magic of doing, doing something like this, because you just, there's no point getting caught up in all that other stuff because it doesn't like you say it doesn't really matter there's very little that won't wait until you get back and once you get your head around that that, that's what you're doing it's liberating it really is to just not look at your phone every five seconds it's fab I loved it I really enjoyed that aspect of it yeah exactly so uh, I found that the gifts of pilgrimage didn't really emerge at the time, as in I was almost frustrated that I wasn't having this moment of spiritual awakening in somehow, but that later on things emerged. So it's been a few months now for you. What are some of the things that have emerged since you've been back? I think that's absolutely true. I also had this idea that there would be lightning bolts and all amazing thoughts I'd have all these moments as I was walking along none of which happened I did have a couple of moments where I got quite emotional when we saw things that were so beautiful but really and I also had this idea that we would walk into Santiago and it would be glorious sunshine and we'd be a big gang and it would all you know just it would be not necessarily with these people but just in all moving together and as it turned out it was a wet cold grey day and the Portuguese route comes in through the city in a not very it's not very nice bit of the city and all those visions I had of my beautiful arriving on my at the end of my pilgrimage were all completely rubbish and none of that happened so it was it did feel like a a little not an anticlimax because we had walked all that long way but it wasn't as I had envisaged it so I completely agree that you it isn't quite what you think when you're there but coming away I've had a meditation practice for a number of years now and I, I I find that that helps me to focus and what have you but since I've done the pilgrimage, I've been able to, I've, I've been, I feel calmer, which sounds, it, it does sound a bit silly, but I do feel like I, my busy life, the busy life that we have as authors and just people, everybody's busy, aren't they? Um, I've been able to focus more on the things that are actually important instead of getting caught up in the, oh, that email came in five seconds ago and I need to respond to it. Otherwise they'll think I'm not, you know, I'm not interested or whatever. I've let all those things go, I think. And I'm sure they will build up again because of course these things always do, don't they? Mm. But certainly since I got back, it has been, those are the things that I found easier to just sort of go, do you know what? That actually doesn't matter. Let's reevaluate our priorities here. The important thing about this is to breathe or to take time out and go and look at that view or to not necessarily sit at your desk answering all these emails so you can tick them all off and get to the end of the day with that smug satisfied I've done all my tick list because those things whilst they are of course important they're not always important and they're not always the priority and being able to take time out and think about wider issues as I did when I was walking along those that's the kind of thing that I think I've taken away and also I think I've also uh, I have a hunger for it now I've very much enjoyed 
that sense of common purpose and the, the simplicity of it all. And so I imagine that I will do another. I haven't chosen which yet, but I, I imagine that that will be something else that I do because it's very difficult to put into words exactly what it gives you, but it most definitely does give you something that you didn't have before. And as a as a seeker and as a curious person, I will be seeking that again, I think. Mm. Yeah, well, you mentioned though that you had some sort of emotional moments rather than lightning bolts. And sometimes these sort of quiet realizations or glimpses of, I always say something beyond the veil or the veil is thin in, in this place where even if you don't believe in a Christian God or any kind of religious God, there is still something there. So did you find those quiet moments of spirituality I guess rather than than religion along the way yes I think so and I wasn't really expecting that it took me by surprise and because I thought that that wasn't I thought I thought I wasn't I was expecting for it to be a spiritual experience but I wasn't expecting it to reduce me to tears and so I was quite surprised and there were two or three places the little chapel I mentioned where the lovely American couple were playing their guitars and singing to all the the pilgrims they were so lovely and so welcoming and there's something I think something very evocative about singing I think it it hits all kinds of emotional notes for me and and I felt like they were there and they were making time for me as I was because I was a pilgrim and they didn't know me from Adam and they never met me and I would be gone and they wouldn't and they would be on to the next pilgrim who came through the door but in that very moment I felt like it was they were wanting to impart something specifically to me. And that was quite moving, really, I think. And then obviously there, there were lots of very beautiful, natural moments, at, you know, as I described, and those are awe-inspiring often. And particularly when you're focused on taking the time to actually look, because a lot of the time, you know, I live in the Yorkshire Dales, it's absolutely beautiful, but some days I don't even look because I'm busy. So you need to be able to be somewhere and, and notice that the smell of the eucalyptus trees or you know, notice that the floor is made up of little bits of oyster shell or whatever. Those are those that can be very special moments. And I think when we got to Santiago, we were very fortunate because it happened to be one of the days when they were swinging the Botafumeria, which is the giant incense thing that they have there. And they don't, it, it doesn't, it takes eight people to swing it. It's so huge. It's like a, it's like a wrecking ball. It's amazing to see. And the, the cathedral was packed, partly because they have a service for the pilgrims every, every day, but it was even more packed because they were, because the Botafumeria was going to be swung that day as well. And, and that common purpose again, just to be in a building with all these people who had all just done exactly the same thing as I had done. That was a moving moment as well, because it does what it is to be human. And I think we sometimes forget, and particularly post-COVID and all that kind of stuff, we're all very cautious of each other. And we're all dancing around and not standing too close and being concerned if somebody looks as if they might cough and all those kinds of things. And suddenly there was all these people all in one place, and that wasn't what they were interested in at all. And they were really interested in, in this beautiful building that we were in. So that was very moving as well, possibly, as I say, because it's been so so long since we've had moments like that. But it was beautiful. Mm, it's funny that Botafumero, I used that in Stone of Fire as a <laughs> as a plot device. <laughs> oh, it's fantastic. Have you seen it? Have you seen I, it? I haven't. No, I haven't. But I, well, I've only on YouTube videos, but I haven't seen yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. And so I'm going to put it out there to the universe that it's being swung on when I get there. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, it. that's exactly what I did. And lo and behold, it worked. So yeah, it, it is. If you get to see it, it is, it's spectacular. It's astounding. Um, yeah, I've never seen anything quite like it. So yeah, definitely worth, worth, if it's going when you're there, go see it.
Yeah, brilliant. Well, we're almost out of time, but this is the Books and Travel podcast. So what are some of your favorite books about pilgrimage or routes or travel in general? Well, as I mentioned, I quite like books where people just set off. There's something very interesting about just setting off. My my own first book, it was inspired by me wanting to run away because having four children is sometimes quite challenging. And I just wanted to just, I'll just go and get on a plane and fly somewhere else. So my, that is that kind of thing with the books that I've chosen. The first one is Wild by Cheryl Strayed. And she walked 1100 miles along the Pacific Crest Trail and they made a film about it and what have you but the thing that that really I really enjoyed about that book is she was so woefully ill-prepared when she set off she had her boots didn't even fit she had absolutely no idea she had a bag that she could barely lift she had just no idea where she was going she hadn't got the appropriate kit or anything and yet she just set off and more astoundingly she finished and I think it the strength of the determination and the strength of personality that that must have taken for her just not to give up. And she was on her own for days and days and days and various points in quite a lot of jeopardy, no water and a lot of snow and all kinds of interesting things. So I find that book really inspiring, not just for long distance walking, but also for anything that's a challenge really. And just that whole resilience, don't give up thing. And because I find that um, she, she was amazing. It's an amazing book. My second one is As I want, Walked Out One Midsummer Morning by Laurie Lee, which I first read at school. And I'm sure that's why I have this thing about just setting off, because that's what he does. He sets off with his fiddle and his backpack and he decides to go to London and then he ends up in Spain. He ends up in a bit of a bit of the near where the Camino goes at, at one point as well. And I think it's I'm by nature, I'm a planner and I always there's always a plan. And I think. I'm inspired and awestruck by people who don't have a plan because it's so alien to my personality. So to just for him to just decide that that's what he was going to do and make his own money by playing the fiddle and staying where he could stay and just meeting interesting people, he gets caught up in the Spanish Civil War towards the end, so it gets a bit hairy. But the beginning bit is is so beautiful, and it's because it's Laurie Lee, it's so beautifully written. So that's the second one, and then for some fiction. The Pilgrimage of Harold Fry, and indeed by Rachel Joyce, because he decides he sets off to post a letter and then decides actually he'd rather take it in person. And so he walks the, the length of the England to take this letter. And obviously, he's just set off and he has the wrong shoes and the wrong no money and anything <laughs> with him. And his wife doesn't understand, but he's just drawn by actually, I want to see this person rather than just send the letter. I want to actually see her. And, make, and she's she she's not very well as the lady that he's writing to, and he so there's the ticking clock element. He has to get there before she dies. But again, it, it's Rachel Joyce writes beautiful fiction, and it's a beautiful story. So those are my my three choices. Mm, brilliant. And you mentioned that your first book had these kind of elements, but you didn't tell us the name of the book. So tell us that. Uh, yeah, postcards from the stranger was my first book um, that that was published it's not the first book that I've written but it was the first book that was published and it was inspired by me wondering what would uh, what kind of mum would would leave her children and what would be so awful that would mean that she had to do that and uh, and yeah that having that thought then led into the book which then led into my career so yeah it's an important book to me is that one postcards from a stranger fantastic right so where can people find you and your books online 
I'm at imogenclark.com is my website, which has links into everything else. Uh, but then I'm on Facebook and Instagram as Imogen Clark author. So I'm quite easy to find, really. And obviously Brilliant. all over Amazon and everywhere. <laughs> Brilliant. Thanks so much for your time, Imogen. That was great. Thank you for having me. It's been lovely. Thanks for joining me today on the Books and Travel podcast. I hope you found a moment of escape. You can find the episode show notes at booksandtravel.page. And if you enjoy thrillers set in international locations, download one of my books for free at jfpen.com forward slash free. Happy travels until next time.